We'll go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis 47. We're continuing, of course, our study. And this last part of Genesis is the life of Joseph. It's a special time because Jacob, who's Joseph's dad, of course, brings his family, what we call the nation of Israel, because that's Jacob's other name, from the land of Canaan to Egypt. And it's pretty amazing when you think about it. You've got Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to Joseph. God has come back and changed Jacob's name to Israel, which is Prince of God. And so basically Israel has left the land of Canaan and are going to Egypt. For the first time in 22 years, the entire family is going to be together. We see, and we, we just touched on this last week, but we see Jacob's view of life, and we raise the question of how do we view life. And as we look at this passage, we, the, we see the severity of the famine that has come upon the world. It affects the people. And we see uh, Joseph's, I think we got a slide coming up. Uh, It'll come. There we go. We see Joseph's wise administration during the famine. I mean, what does he do? Because nobody has nobody has any food, and he had been set apart by God, and of course he had stored all this back. He came up with the plan, and now it's time to distribute the food. What does he do? And we see that. And then we also see Joseph's promise to his father, because as we saw at the very end, Jacob's about to die, and he doesn't want to stay in Egypt, because his family is all buried in the cave of Machpelah. Back in the land of Canaan, everybody from Abraham and Isaac and on down. And so he says, I don't want to stay here. He says, make sure that when I die, you bury me there. And we'll see the promise that uh, Joseph says, I will do that. And we'll see about keeping his word and doing what he says and all those things. And so we learn a lot tonight, I think, as we look at the life of Jacob and Joseph. Let's, let's, let's begin with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for a great night. Thank you for the privilege we have of, of coming together with fellow believers and your love and grace and mercy to us. And thank you for uh, Jesus Christ and our salvation in him. We thank you for the word of God, especially the book of Genesis. Thank you, Lord. There's just so much in there that we can see. And not only the history and not only the lives and the, the things and the events and the things that they do, but the, the things that we can learn from and the applications that we can make. And then thank you, Lord, again for these fellow believers that we are all in this together. We're in place in the body of Christ. We have the privilege of serving you using the gifts, talents, and abilities that we have that you have given to us. And so, Lord, we, may, we, may we serve you and be used for you and by you. Lord, we just ask you to uh, teach us now. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this evening, I'd like to begin by making a promise to you. From this point on, I promise that I will. Wait a minute, but I better stop. I should be very careful because how important is it when you make a promise that you keep your promise? How important is it that I say, from now on, I'm going to, well, I better be careful, right? Because if you say it, do you mean it? If you say it, will you do it? I mean, if you make a promise, I'll be there at 8 o'clock. Are you supposed to be there at 8? Or I'll do this, or I'll do that. How binding is a promise? Realize that keeping or not keeping our word is a reflection of our character. One of the marks of our society and our culture is that we really don't keep our word. We People make contracts, you know, (laughs) but they get things in writing, and then they try not to do what they said in writing. People make vows and don't keep their vows. Uh, We say things we'll do, but then we say it's rather really really important. We expect other people to keep their word when they make it to us, but we don't necessarily expect to keep our word when we make it to others because we say things like, something came up. Well, I know I said I would do that, but I really couldn't help it because some other things came up and it just wasn't really to my advantage to do what I said. We want to be men and women of character who can be trusted and who can be faithful. How would you and I do as we measure up this evening about keeping our word because as we continue in this study, Joseph makes... A commitment to his father. Makes a vow, actually, to his father. Swear to me, is what his father said. And he said, I will do it. The Old Testament says it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not 
keep it. So we, we have to be careful. He vows that he will bury Jacob in the land of Canaan, not Egypt. Will he keep his word? What's going to listen? When Jacob dies, at that point, will Jacob know if he keeps his word or not? But we can't. We don't know. But when when the resurrection comes, will Jacob know? Yeah, he said, "Wait a minute, this isn't cave of Machpelah. Wait a minute, right? That's what he could say." So, how do you view your promises? Think about it. This evening, we're going to see Joseph and Jacob and, and what's going on. Well, it's during the famine, of course, Jacob, and, and they've all come down at Pharaoh's request to come. Uh, he's given permission to live in the best part of the land. I mean, it's just it's big. And so, let me just break the passage down for you. First of all, and we saw this last week, and I saw it pretty quickly, so I want to just review it for you. But in verses 1 through 12, uh, the, Pharaoh, uh, the family meets Pharaoh, the brothers first, and then Jacob comes. And Jacob actually blesses Pharaoh, which is sort of, you know, we think it's sort of weird. Here's this little old man in a family of about 70 people who, as the world considers, absolutely nothing. And he's standing before the most powerful man in the world, who is the Pharaoh, who is leading the world, and... Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Uh, let me bless you, my son. You know, you know, that's what he's doing. And then Joseph, we see Joseph's administration during the famine. We see his wisdom. Everything is sold to Pharaoh. The people praise Joseph for saving them. We'll look at that as we get through it. And then the last part is uh, Joseph's promise. And uh, Jacob wants to be buried in Canaan. And we, so we see exactly what happens there. Well, let's begin. And we'll go, we'll go quickly through the first part because we looked on it last time. But the family meets Pharaoh. Remember, Joseph had, had given them advice. When they got there, he said, I'm going to take you to meet Pharaoh. And we talked about it last week. Not everybody, people, average people didn't go see Pharaoh. I mean, you think it's like saying, look, I'm just going to go over next door, see the Pharaoh? No, here's Joseph's family, and he's got it fixed since he's so powerful, and he's number two in, in all of Egypt. He's fixed it where they're going to come see the Pharaoh. Now, remember, for an Egyptian, who was Pharaoh? He was what? He was God. He was God. He was a God. He was their main God, in fact. I mean, they had the Nile River and they had these other things. But, man, you're talking about meeting the uh, closest thing to a human, closest thing to a God you could find on this earth. That's how they looked at it. And so he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you in there. And I hear, remind you, when you go in there, he's going to ask you what you do. Say that we handle livestock. Say that we're shepherds and all that. Because deep down in the culture of Egypt, Egypt's, Egyptians didn't like shepherds they they didn't like any of that and so what they did normally on their own flocks they hired other people or had servants to take care of their flocks joseph has a reason for telling them to do this he said when you go in tell them you're shepherds because that's what they were because one of the things he wanted was for them to be separate from the rest of the egyptians because we already knew in canaan what had happened they were beginning to get mixed up with the canaanites it was going to ruin the family so God actually pulled them out of there. Now in Egypt, he's going to fix them in a part of the land called Goshen, which was the best part of the land. But they're known as shepherds. And so the Egyptians are saying, the, the main Egyptians are saying, stay away from them. So this is the plan. So notice this. He says, uh, when you go in there, tell them that you're shepherds. Notice, when Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. So he goes to Pharaoh and says, my, You know, you told me to go get my father and my brothers, and they're all here, and they've made the trip from Canaan, and we, we, right now we've got them in the land of Goshen, which is the best part. He took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. We talked last week that we didn't know which of the brothers. He didn't miss any of the brothers here. Uh, you might assume that he'd pick some of the older brothers. We just don't know. But he picks the brothers to go meet Pharaoh. And here's the question. Notice it is, what the question is. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. So he raises the question, what is your occupation? What do you, what do, you do? And we already saw back in chapter 46... 
verse 34, at the very end of the chapter, it said, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Egyptians don't like shepherds. They don't like that. In fact, what we find from the culture is they didn't like handling those animals, and they had other people handle They had animals, had plenty of animals. They just didn't like to handle them themselves. And so he says, when you get there, be careful what you tell them. And so uh, Pharaoh said, what's your occupation? They said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. And so uh, that's what they say. But look what they do. They said to Pharaoh, they're talking to the leader of the world. We have come to sojourn in the land, for there's no pasture for you. Your servant's flock, for the salmon is severe in the, now in the land of Canaan. Would you please let your servants live in the land of Goshen? They basically say, we've come and we would like to live. And basically they're saying, we'd like to live in the best place in the land to live. And, of course, they have an advantage because Joseph is so respected by Pharaoh. I think that Pharaoh would do anything Joseph wanted to do. Because Joseph in the world, as, as, as far as Pharaoh is concerned, is wise. He's got God's mind. He knows the future. He knows what's to happen. And so Pharaoh really trusts Joseph. And uh, uh, God, is, God is working. He's blessing the nation. He's going to take them down there. They're going down with 70 people. Uh, right now, I, we always say nation of Israel. But as they go into the land of Egypt, they're a big family. There's 70 people. And really, truly, that's not a real big family. But it, it's a big family, and they're going to go in there. So look at verse 5. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And by the way, if you know any capable men among them, in other words, if any of your family are really good at that, at, at livestock and all that, then put them in charge of my livestock. So he's saying, listen, we don't like to test that stuff, but if you've got some people, you've got some people in your family that are really good, then you let, let, let me know and put them in charge of my livestock. And so the land is yours. And so he's given them Goshen, the best of the land. You realize the blessings? God is certainly providing for the nation of Israel. And let me just say one thing. I want you to see a pattern here that Pharaoh is blessing Joseph and Jacob, and what's Jacob's other name? Israel. Pharaoh's blessing Israel. What's going to happen? Genesis 12:3. I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. This Pharaoh is actually taking care of Israel, and what's going to happen? Israel's going to bless him back. Now, there's going to let rise a Pharaoh later on when we get to Exodus, who does not know Joseph, who does not care, and he does not bless the Jewish people, in fact, he curses them, and he said, I'll bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. And what happens to that Pharaoh? Not going to be very good. There is a truth in the Scripture that if you bless Israel, God will bless you. That's a promise. That's part of the covenant. And so we see this Pharaoh saying, I'm going to put you in the best land. I'm going to take care of this. If you got any good people there, do this. Whatever you need... And we're going to see that he comes back. Verse 7, and, and this is this is blessing. And, oh, by the way, I want to say this. Look, look at the blessing so far that God has done. He's raised up Joseph in the nation. He didn't have to do that, but Joseph is now powerful in Egypt. He has fa- uh, favor with Pharaoh. He brought the whole family to Egypt. There's going to be protection and provision. He's given them the best land, and he will use them. This is all how God is doing. And so God blesses his people. And, of course, Pharaoh now blesses God's people, and they, he's going to be blessed back. You realize that God blesses us. And I brought this up last week, but 
couple of things. He's given us an inheritance and rewards. The inheritance, of course, is, is we're talking about that when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you have an inheritance that never fades away, according to Second Peter. And we have a home in heaven, a new body, eternal life, all of those things. We also have an opportunity to have rewards, that when you serve the living God, He rewards you. You ever thought about this? Here's the living God who says, I want you to be my servant. And you go, whatever you say. He says, and when you serve me, I'm going to give you rewards for serving me. You go, really? I mean, you don't have to, right? I mean, you don't have to because we could just serve him because who he is, right? And get nothing for it. And yet he says, I will reward you. Well, look what happens. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh. Now, the, the five brothers had been there, and now they step back, and here comes this little old man. Now, how is he coming in there? He's coming in there like this. Remember? Why? Because he wrestled God and God touched right there and he hadn't been able to walk since without a limp and he's got a little staff that he holds himself on and in every step that he takes, he remembers he has to trust God. Every step that he takes. Joseph brought in his father and presented him to Pharaoh and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. I love that. Look at this right here on the slide. The contrast. Jacob, the lowly old man before Pharaoh, the mighty ruler of Egypt. What a contrast. What what really happens is Jacob is going to bless Pharaoh. Why? Because Pharaoh's been doing what? Blessing Jacob. That's what but Pharaoh's blessing Jacob right now. He's saying, Jacob, which is Israel, you you're, you're, you can live up there. You can have land. You can have this. I'm going to take care of you. So what does Jacob do? He blesses Pharaoh. S. Lewis Johnson, who used to teach at Dallas Seminary, basically says, A striking picture of the feeble patriarch blesses the mightiest monarch of the day. Jacob is God's representative, by the way. And in Hebrews 7, 7, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Which one's greater here, Pharaoh or Jacob? Jacob is. Now, you wouldn't look at it. Looking at it from the worldview, you'd say, here's the most powerful man in the world. Here's this little old man, 130-something years old. I mean, he, can just, he can't even walk. And he's the, he's the best one. He's the most powerful one. He is, he is the greater than this. And we'd say, in the eyes of the world, he's not. But in the eyes of God, he is. And in the eyes of the world, there are many of us who are considered to be absolutely nothing. And in the eyes of God, there are many of you who are considered great in the eyes of the Lord and great in the kingdom. Wow. Well, let's see the meeting. I love this part. So Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived? How old are you? And the answer, Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourn are 130 years. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they obtained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourn. And he says, I've lived 130 years. And he says, they're few years and they're unpleasant years. That's a great view of life, isn't it? Well, you're really happy, Jacob. I'm glad you've had a great life. You've only got to live 130 years. He says, few, few and unpleasant have been my life. And, and when you, we looked, talked about this last week, last week, that Jacob looks at life from the negative. I mean, what's his name? What is Jacob? He's got Israel as one name, but Jacob is his other name. What does it mean? Deceiver. He came out deceiving, fighting, fussing all of his life. He's, he's tricked people up until the time that he wrestled God. His whole life was, how do I get the advantage? What do I do? And, and uh, he actually says, you know, I, I've had uh, an unpleasant life and my years have been few. In fact, I don't have the same number of years as my father's. And see, Abraham um, lived 175 and his father, that was his grandfather, and then his father, Isaac, lived 180. He's only lived 130. He says, this is a rip, Right? 
ripoff. I've only got 130. My father's lived a lot longer than me. I've lived such a, a terrible life. It's just been so bad. But notice what happened in verse 10. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. As God's representative, he blessed Pharaoh because Pharaoh is blessing him. Let's talk about, and we, we mentioned it last week, let's talk about the way you can look at life. You can look at life, next slide if you could. You can look at life as positive and negative. You can look at life and say, you know, God's working in all events, whether good or bad or up or down. You say, God, I just have to trust you, you know, because you're great. You're good. You only do good for me. You, you, you will work all things together for good. Or we can look at life and say, oh, the trials, all the problems, all the hardships. Life is no good. It's terrible. And we could do that. Well, Jacob really looked at life from the negative. His statement earlier, earlier in his life back, he said, everything's against me. Actually, everything was for him. But he said everything was against him. He didn't know that everything was working for good. Let's think about negative for just a second. When he said negative, he said, I only got, I only got 130 years. He's going to live 17 more. He's going to be 147. And he's going to look at it and say, but that's not as long as my daddy, and that's not as long as my granddaddy. And I've had an unpleasant life because I had to leave home for years, and I was tricked. I got tricked when I got married and ended up with more wives than I really wanted. And, and I've worked hard, and I've been lied to by my children. My family is divided. Uh, when you look at life that way, you say it's a terrible life. But it's positive as well. Think about this. He's lived 147 years. That's going to be a lot longer than Moses. Moses lives 120. His son Joseph only lives 110. Only 110. Is it unpleasant? No. He's been chosen by God. He's been given the covenant. Abraham got the covenant. Isaac got the covenant. Jacob got the covenant. He married the one woman that he loved. Now, he married more than one woman, but he did marry the one woman he loved. And uh, his name was changed from deceiver to prince of God. He's the father of the nation of Israel. He had 12 sons. 12 sons became the great, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. Eight times God directly revealed himself to him. Eight times. He lived to see his family united. He lived in the best land of Egypt. He had provision and protection to the great, during the greatest famine on the earth. And he says, I've had an unpleasant life. Amazing. Did you know that sometimes God is called the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob? He is called the God of Jacob more than any other place in the Bible. That's his, that God's name is the God of Jacob. And you say, Jacob, you had a bad life, huh? God called himself after you over and over and over. Not unpleasant, just special. When we think about our lives, is it positive or negative? Positive even in the trials and problems. God is in control. He's working all things according to the counsel of his will. What do we have as a child of God? Think about it. We have eternal life, salvation simply by grace through faith. It's not by, not by our works. I mean, it's just so amazing. When you think about it, what if, what if in order to have life, you had to do and work and try to live a good life, try to measure up to some standard? In fact, the truth is, it's not just some standard. The standard that we'd have to measure up to is perfection. What if it, what if it wasn't by grace through faith? None of us would get to go. It's the grace of God we get to go. Think about how he deals with us. We have an inheritance that never fades. We, the Christian life, we, we get rewarded for service. He, give, he provides for us. He protects us. Everything we have. He is making us like Christ. He, we're gifted and blessed. And even the trials, the problems, the hurts, the ups and downs, the sorrows are all allowed by a sovereign God to make us like he wants us to be. So how do you see life? As a child of God? 
knowing that God is the creator and the redeemer. Well, Jacob leaves after blessing Pharaoh. And look what it goes on to say there. It says, so Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them, this is verse 11, so Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had ordered. Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to their little ones. Now, do you think that he's going to continue to provide for them food for as long as they're there? What about when the famine gets really tough, which we're going to see in just a minute. What about when the famine gets really tough? What's going to happen? Are they still going to get food? Yeah. When other people are coming and having to sell all of their property to get food, what about Joseph's family? Does it say anything in there at all that Joseph's family sold anything? No. So you mean during this whole famine, they are protected? Yeah. It's amazing. Watch what happens. Verse 13. Now there was no food at all in the land because the famine was very severe so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Now let me ask you something. Who is the person who had access to the food? Joseph. You think his family's going to starve? Of course not. I mean, he's number two. Do you think any of Pharaoh's family ever starved? Did any of Pharaoh's family have to say, well, let's sell our land to Joseph? No. Did any of the priests who worked for the Pharaoh have to sell anything? No. So when it says that everybody was in trouble, not everybody. And what is so amazing is God's chosen people from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and now these 70 people in the land of Egypt in the worst famine in the world they are totally protected Pharaoh blesses them they bless Pharaoh there was no food at all in the land because the famine was very severe so the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for grain for which they brought they bought, brought and Joseph brought uh, bought which they brought and then Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house now think about this people came and they 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 spent all their money they spent all their money for food eventually they ran out of money I mean, this is not just Egypt. This is the land of Canaan. This is th- that whole section. Everybody's saying, look, there's the only food we know about is in Egypt. And people are making go- trips to Egypt. And with the last of their money, they're paying for food. And they're saying, you know, this is only going to last so long. I mean, because you eat this up. You know, I mean, it just doesn't sit in a corner. It's gone. So what are we going to do? And so Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan. He, he uh, brought the money into Pharaoh's house. What would I have for you? That's the more money. Pharaoh goes, you're doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you. By the way, we need a little bit more food. Okay, I'll get it for you. Don't worry. Right? Isn't that what it is? Think about it. So look what happens. When all the money, verse 15, when all the money was spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. Now they come up to him and they say, Listen, we we, we can't make it. We, we've run out of money. We don't have any more money, but you can't let us just starve to death. So what does he do? 
Joseph said, give up your livestock and I will give you food for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in exchange for their horses and their flocks and the herds and the donkeys and he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. Now, there's two thoughts on this that as people have studied it and tried to figure out exactly what's going on, it appears that they all bring their animals up to him and they basically he gives some food for all their animals. There is a possibility that he allowed them to keep some of those animals so that they could take you know take care of things and have their crops and their animals and the things they needed. We're not sure. We're going to see something else in just a minute because he basically is going to talk about selling the land to Pharaoh, but they all stay on the land. Selling themselves to Pharaoh, but they all stay on their lands. And we'll see how that works. So they come in and they, they basically sell all their property, all their animals. And that's just going to last them for what? The next year. How long was the famine? Seven years. We know when Joseph's family got there, how many years was it into the famine? Do you remember? It's just two. There were five years left. So this is a five-year time period. And so we've already seen sometimes there's still maybe three to four years left in this famine. And people have said, uh, we gave all our money, and now we've given all of our property, all our animals. And according to what we've learned, we still got three years to go. Right? What would you do? What would you do? You're, li- you're in Egypt. You're, do- you're just there with your family. You have, given, you have given Pharaoh every bit of your money. You have no money left. You now have given him every bit of your animals. And you, you come back and you say, this will get us through this year. But according to what all the rumors are and what we heard, that there was going to be a seven-year famine because that's what Joseph said it was going to be. And we still got three years to go. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, look what happened. When that year was ended, this is verse 18. When that year was ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from the Lord that all our money spent and all the cattle of the Lord's, or my Lord's. There is nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. He said, All we got left is us and what we live. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land, by us? And our land for food. And we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die. And that the land may not be desolate. They, they come and their final statement is. We don't have anything else to give. So we'll, give you, we'll just give you our land. And we'll give you ourselves. We'll become slaves to Pharaoh. We belong, the land will belong to Pharaoh. Everything will belong to Pharaoh. But this is all we have. We, we have nothing left. So what does Joseph do? So Joseph brought all, brought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. Pharaoh now owns everything in Egypt. Everything. As for the people, he removed them to, to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Now what this we can understand he means by this is because there were certain places that they kept the grain. In the bigger cities, and there were people scattered all over. And when they would come, he said, "Listen, what we're going to do is we're going to move. We're going to try to move the population as close to the food as possible. That's the best we can understand. And by moving them closer to these big cities, they would serve Pharaoh, and because they're his slaves now. And it's powerful. Now, here's the statement in verse 22: Only the land of the priest he did not buy, for the priest had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Why do you think Pharaoh gave a special allotment to the priest? They 
Exactly. Look, these priests kind of, they, they talk to the gods and everything else too. And Pharaoh says, I don't want to get them on the bad side somehow, right? Because they could, you know, knock it overflow wrong or no telling what could happen. So I'm going to keep the priest happy and I'm going to make sure they're fed. And that way we're all in this together. I think is what he's doing. He's just, he's just looking out for himself there, taking care of them. And so I guess it'd be great to be, you'd say, I wish I was one of the priests. Because if you're one of the priests, you got it made. Now watch. Joseph said to the people, verse 23, Behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you may sow the land. At the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own seed of the field and for your food and for those of your household and as food for your little ones. He basically says, listen, you now belong to Pharaoh. Your land belongs to Pharaoh. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you seed and everything. And when everything comes up, one-fifth of it goes to Pharaoh. You get to keep four-fifths. It was really his land, and you're his slave. But what I really want to do is just one-fifth of it is going to go back to Pharaoh and to his storehouses, and the rest is yours. It's like a feudal system, you know, where people were allowed to live in the lands and give a portion. They basically have a portion to Pharaoh. Now, what would be their response? You think about it. You're there and you go, okay, I gave all the money. I gave all my animals. I gave them my land. I gave them myself. Uh, I have nothing left. And so how do you look at Joseph? Some might say, well, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be a little bit mad at him. That's not how they responded at all. Look at this. What's their response? Are they mad? No. They said, you have saved our Lives. Look at the response in 25. So they said to him, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. Joseph is in a very hard predicament because God has let him know what's going on. The seven years of good and the seven years of famine. And he said, Come up and we're going to store for all these years, and then we'll have, we'll have food to give out to the people. But you just can't give it out. That's not how it worked. Pharaoh says, no, you can't just give out. We've been, this is, we've been saving it. We will sell it. And so Joseph is doing everything he can. He is doing what Pharaoh wants him to do. He is a faithful servant. That is a characteristic of Joseph's life. From the time that he got thrown into, when he worked for Potiphar, he was faithful. When he got thrown into the prison, he was faithful. When he got raised up to be with Pharaoh, he's been faithful. He always does what he's supposed to do. He's a faithful servant. These people have recognized Joseph as the Savior. So look at verse 26. Joseph made, a, made it a statute among the land of Egypt, valid to this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth. Only the land of the priest did not become Pharaoh's. Wow. That's the law. We see wise leadership by Joseph. He has provided and protected the entire nation. He has blessed Pharaoh, and he has saved the people's lives. And I think the key for us is realize that God has given us responsibilities while we're on this earth, whatever they may be, and we want to do them for the glory of God. We want to do the best that we can. We want to use the gifts, talents, and abilities that God's given us, and we want to, we want to glorify God in our lives. And what we see is... I don't, I don't, Jacob has blessed Pharaoh, Genesis 12:3, and and the thing that we see over and over when when you bless Pharaoh, Pharaoh you know if if, if Pharaoh is going to bless uh, the Jewish people, Jewish people are going to come back and, and bless them. Look at this right here: blessings from Pharaoh resulted in blessings to Pharaoh. Think about that. The blessings from Pharaoh resulted back in blessings to Pharaoh. Later, cursing from a Pharaoh results in cursing for that Pharaoh. 
Genesis 12.3 is always true. It is true today. When people don't believe the Bible and they go, nah, it's no big deal. Genesis 12, I'll bless those that bless you. 12.3, I'll curse those that curse you. And in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's through Abraham. The nations are blessed through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who came through Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob, to Judah, to, to David, and on down. And whoever blesses Israel will be blessed. Now, that means when they do things wrong, we don't say, oh, it's okay they do anything wrong. The nation of Israel is still God's chosen people, not for salvation, chosen to carry out his plans and purposes, beginning with Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and down. They will always be his people. He has a plan for the nation of Israel, just as he has a plan for the, for the church, the body of Christ. And when people say that God is through with Israel, Paul says just the opposite. Has God cast away his people? No way. Is God through with Israel? No way. And we have to trust him. We know what he's doing. The next event, we're going to be taken off the face of the earth. God's going to take his people, Israel, and they will be the main ones to carry out the ministry during the tribulation. Revelation chapter 7, God raises up 144,000 Jewish people, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. They are believers in Jesus Christ, and they proclaim the message of Christ to the world. And many people will trust in Christ as Savior. It's going to be his people, the Jewish people. Well, watch what happens. And then verse 27, now Israel, talking about Jacob, Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. That's pretty good in the midst of a famine, isn't it? Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. You know, he said, I've got to get to see my son before I what? Before I die. He lived 17 more years. You know, you have this in your mind that he's going to get there and see Joseph and hug and everything. And he says, well, I'm gone. You know, he's got 17 years. Now, here's something that I think is beautiful. Look at this. If we can go to the next one. For the first 17 years of Joseph's life, he was under the care of Jacob. The last 17 years of Jacob's life, he was under the care of Joseph. Isn't that amazing? Because remember, Joseph was 17 years old when he was taken off, you know. And now, that the, the uh, uh, I don't know what that is. Go back to the other slide, if you would. There, just think about it. So, these last 17 years of Jacob's life, he is under the protection of his son, who he had protected for his first 17 years of his life. Wow, it's powerful. Well, look at the uh, look at the next slide, uh, next thing. Verse 29. It says, "When it came time for Israel to die, drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, place your hand under my thigh, and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt." So he calls and asks a request. Just don't bury me here. Now, to place your hand under your thigh was a symbolic way. Put your hand under the thigh. That's what they did. I, I'm not suggesting that anybody does that. But if you remember way back when when uh, when they were going to find when Abraham wanted to find a bride for Isaac, he sent that servant and he made that servant put his hand under his thigh and promise him that he would do what he said he would do. Here's the same thing. He places his hand under his thigh and says, "Do this. This is the my symbol. This is sort of like saying, you know, swear to me." Uh, that you will not bury me here. If you don't believe in resurrection, it doesn't matter where you're buried. It doesn't matter anything, right? Because it's over. 
But if you believe in resurrection, if you believe that one day you're going to come back in this body. Because I have people say to me, I don't think in the Old Testament they ever taught about resurrection. Oh, really? Why is it so important for Jacob not to be buried in Egypt? Why does he want to be buried where his family is in the land of Canaan? Because what does he know is going to happen one day? He's going to be raised. The book of Job, Job lived at the same time of Abraham. Now think about that. It's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So Job lived before Jacob lived. In the book of Job, Job said that one day, that even though his body went into the ground and wore out, just tore itself up, decayed, he said, in my flesh, I will stand on this earth and I will see my God. Job knew about resurrection. They all knew about it. And so he says, look, don't bury me here. Why? Because I don't want to land. The, the promises, I want to be in the promised land. This is the land that God gave us. This is the land that God gave to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. You remember when Jacob had to leave the land when, when he was supposed to go down to Egypt? We saw it a couple of, just a chapter ago. When he got to the edge of the land, he thought, am I really supposed to leave? And God appeared to him and said, it's okay. Don't be afraid to leave the land because I'm going to bring you back. He said, now you'll die in Egypt, though. He said, your son will close your eyes, which means you're going to die. He said, but don't be afraid, because you're coming back here. And that's why he said to his son, when I die, i got to go back there, because that's what God said. He said, when I lie down with my fathers, verse 30, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do uh, as you have said. He's going to take him to the cave of Machpelah. That's where Abraham and Isaac and Sarah and Rebekah and Leah are all buried. Think about that. Abraham and Isaac and Sarah and Rebecca and Leah. Anybody missing? Rachel. She's buried in Bethlehem. She died on the road and they had to bury her in Bethlehem. He said, swear. So he swore to him. He said, swear to me. So he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of his bed. He's laying in the bed. He can't get up. And he says, okay, got it. So he worshiped God, and he knew that God that he was going to take him back. And let me just say this about a vow. I think it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not keep it. You've got to be real careful because God holds you at your word. It really does. When you say, I'm gonna, I promise I'll do this. Uh, some. You know, there are vows. We say, I'll make this promise, or I sign a contract, or I do my wedding vows, or those are, those are vows. And just realize that when we don't keep our word, turn to the next slide, when we don't keep our word, it's, it's sin because it's a lie, and it's also a reflection of our character. So as Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Keep your word. Do what you say. That's what we're supposed to do. We want to be faithful men and women. We have seen the family comes to Egypt. They've been given the best land. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Joseph's wives administration. The Pharaoh blesses them and, and, and they save the people. And Joseph gives his word to his dad and says, I will take you back. So a couple of uh, quick applications is view life from the positive. Let's do it. Let's realize that God's in control. Both the good and the bad are all working together. We have blessings. We're alive. We're saved by grace through faith. We're gifted. We have the living God. We have the Word of God. We have an inheritance. We have rewards. How can we view life differently? Do we view life and say it's pleasant? I mean, it's unpleasant and it's just a few years? Or do we see it as a child of God that we get to serve the living God, the provision, protection, and the inheritance and the rewards? Well, look at life from God's side. The second thing, and here's one, just keep our word. If we say it, do it. 
I mean, it's a sign of our character, and, and God takes us at our word even if we don't. Uh, George Mueller said, be careful what you promise, even in the little ordinary affairs of life, where you bring honor or dishonor to God. And it is also, it's a reflection of your character. And when you say, I will do something, and you don't do it, people say, well, you said you were going to do it. So be careful what you say. Don't promise to do a lot of things unless, you, unless you're going to do it. Because it's real easy to make a lot of promises. And uh, be careful. Keep our word. May we stand as lights in our community. May we be men and women of character, keeping our word and doing what we say. Heavenly Father, thanks for uh, a great night. Thank you for our study. Uh, thank you for these great truths. Lord, we, we realize that you are in control of all things. You work all things according to the counsel of your will. You work all things together for good. Those that love you that are called according to your purpose. Lord, we realize that uh, we have a great life that even in the ups and downs and hard things and bad things and trials and problems, that you're working and, and everything that ever comes into our life is because you have allowed it to come into our life, and we must trust you in that. Or we, we realize that you have given us more than we could ever imagine. You deal with us in grace and the rewards and everything else that you have for us. Lord, we look at our life and say, thank you for allowing us to be on this earth and to live for you. May we, may we view life from the positive. And Lord, as uh, men and women, may we be faithful to keep our word, to be men and women of character, so that we will stand out differently in a fallen culture, and a fallen world, that we would stand as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which we would shine as lights in this world. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, can we do any questions? I know time is it's already past time, so we got maybe for just a minute or two. Does anybody have any questions they want to ask about the passage tonight or anything? And you may not, but if you do, anybody got any? I didn't want to just shut it right off without giving anybody a chance. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a great point. What does it really matter to him? Well, because God gave a particular land to the nation of Israel. And uh, he knew that his family had a plot of land. In fact, at this point, that's really about the only land that that family owns. Because Abraham died without owning any property except the burial place. And Isaac was a wanderer and did the same thing. And here's Jacob now leaving the land. And I think what he's saying is, I know that God has promised us that land I want to be in that land when the resurrection appears because that's the land that God promised the people. So I think that's why it's so important to him. And because he says, I know, I know we're going to be resurrected. I just don't want to be in Egypt because I really don't care that much about the Egyptians. I mean, that's what he would say. He was saying, I love my, our people and that's our land and uh, I want to live for God. So I think that's what he's doing. Great question. Any, anything else? That's good. That's real good. Anything else? Guys? Yeah, Gary. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and we can look at Paul, and Paul might be able to say, my days were few and unpleasant. Mm-hmm. But he had a different perspective. I was learning to understand. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Uh, there's no doubt. It, uh, I mean, if you really, I hate to say it, you look at Jacob, and he was a natural pessimist. 
I mean, that's what his life was. I mean, you look at Abraham and you see what kind of man he was. And we, we just think Abraham was the greatest guy that ever lived. And he lied a bunch of times and did a bunch of different things. And you look at Isaac, he's the quiet man. You don't see much about him. You see Jacob as the deceiver almost his whole life. You see Joseph as a man of character. And then you start going down the list. And, and then you even get to David and you say, David, a man after God's own heart. Well, what did he do? He committed adultery and murder. I mean, you start going, good gracious, all these people have flaws. They sure do. Every one of them have flaws. And so I look at Jacob and... Uh, he's probably Abraham is Abraham and Moses and David were the big three. As for if you're Jewish, you say Abraham, Moses, David. But God calls Himself the God of Jacob more than the God of David or Abraham or Isaac or Moses or anything. So Jacob was the key because from Jacob in that family of seventy came the nation of Israel that came out of Egypt as that special group. So, uh, you know, you want to look at Jacob and say, you shouldn't have been so negative. You had a lot of good stuff. You're right. And Paul, poor old Paul, missionary journeys. Oh, if you read Second Corinthians toward the end, and he talks about trials in the trials in the city, trial in the country, trials. I mean, he had trial everywhere. You want to say, if, I don't know where you can get Paul that you wouldn't have a trial, right? And yet he looked at his life and said, I've learned to be content. I've run the good race. I've run the race. I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I'm ready to be poured out. So, good. Anything else? One, Yeah, one more. Okay. Yeah, we do. We do. I, I, I guess you could, you know, I didn't thought about it that way. He, I don't know if y'all could hear him, but he's saying, could that be a picture if you, or, or, or make us make an application or see sort of a foreshadow if all these people basically come to Joseph and, and basically to Pharaoh and say, we give our lives in service, we just give it all. Is that more, could it look like a discipleship thing that after, by the grace of God, we're saved, we then come to him and we just give him everything and say, everything is yours anyway, I give it to you. We, we know this, that that... Salvation cost us absolutely nothing. Discipleship cost us our lives. And if you wanted to make that as a picture, you could say just like they gave their lives um, uh, in service to Pharaoh, we give our lives in service to our Savior, Jesus Christ. It, it's, not, it's not because we, in a sense, have to, uh, but we should. But, yeah, I, I, could, I, could, I could see that that way. There's no doubt. Joseph is a picture of Jesus Christ. He saved his people. And, and you, if you look at it that way, and that's a really good point, Maxine, if you look at it by looking at Joseph because he, you know, he came into his own and his own did not receive him, just like Jesus came into his own and his own did not receive him, he ends up being the savior of his own people, and Jesus ends up being the savior of all people. And, and technically, all these people are coming and they're agreeing to serve Pharaoh, but Joseph is the power. And we look at Joseph and say, Joseph is a picture of Jesus, so what do we do? We say, Jesus, we give you our lives for service, and we want to live for you. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thanks for our time. Most of all, thank you for Jesus, our Savior, for us. In his name we pray. Amen.